0: You are listening to Studying Pixels, a Final Fantasy podcast on game studies and video game culture. I'm Stefan, a game studies scholar from Germany. I'm Dan, a Japanese scholar from Texas. And you can find us every Sunday on studyingpixels.com and wherever you get your podcasts. We're back from our Christmas break and we've brought something super interesting. But before we get into that, Dan, I've got a question for you. Yes, hit me up. What we got, as our resident uh, Japanese scholar, there's something that I noticed over the Christmas break. I've been diligently playing Dragon Quest XI Excellent. on the PS5. A fantastic video game. Yeah, I too. really enjoyed it. It's such a charming and committed JRPG that I just can't stop playing it. Even though I'm already 70 hours in, it feels like <laughs> it's still kind of
1: fresh and keeps telling me interesting short stories. It's one of my favorites. And uh, yeah, I think that it's a testament to any JRPG that's over 100 hours long that keeps you interested and doesn't feel like a drag. Dragon Quest XI is a prime example of that.
0: And although it is so great, there's one thing that I noticed that just confuses me. And that's why Mm -hmm. I wanted to ask you as a Japanese scholar. So uh, some names of characters in Dragon Quest, they've been changed from... Japanese to English because I listen to the Japanese voice track and I see the English subtitles and just as an example there's a character in Japanese he's called Guregu so that would be Greg but in English he's Hendrik. and even more significant as an example that I just noticed this morning there's a princess her name is Martina so Princess Martina you would say Mm. but they changed it to Princess Jade and I'm just wondering, why is that? Like, I can't figure why they would possibly make that change if the original name in itself
1: already would work in the story. I think it's because, well, there's, to me, there's two ways that uh, those translations happen. The first way, we don't really see a whole lot anymore. And it's because translation is better. But it used to be back in the old days that it was just a mistake. (laughs) That uh, people would say, like, the, the classic example is that in Final Fantasy VII, the character Aerith, in Japanese, it's pronounced Eirisu. And so in Final Fantasy VII, when it was ported over to uh, the West, her name popped up as Eris with an S, even though it is Aerith, right? So that's just like a mistake. But I think in the case of Dragon Quest and more modern translations, I have a sneaking suspicion that there's somebody higher up at Square Enix US who says, we cannot have a character in our fantasy epic named Greg. <laughs> I think that that's what it is. We can't have Martina. These are too normal. They're too, it's like, you know, it's like saying Princess Mary or like Princess Hannah or something like that. I think that to me, there's a directive from the higher up saying that's too normal a name. You need to change it to Hendrik, which sounds more, you know, more like a knight, more like a a, a German knight. <laughs> Hendrick, you know? Yeah, actually, my cousin is called Hendrick. There you go. <laughs> 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 so, I but guess. Yeah, I was it. thinking that as well, like mm-hmm. that maybe from
0: from a Japanese perspective, like a native Japanese perspective, it might seem like the name Martina is like an exotic name. Yeah, yeah. But from a Western perspective, the name Martina is like uh, totally conventional names. But Jade, on the other hand, is, again, kind of. Uh, fantastical in some way
1: i think that's it i i don't have any proof of this but that would be my guess because i think that uh a holdover from the 80s and 90s with names coming over to america and to the west more generally speaking i think that uh it's just jarring for somebody to play um this sort of fantasy epic and see a name like todd or something like that (laughs) (laughs) this is prince todd Yep.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> yeah it doesn't have that kind of glow to it though i do know that uh there is a lot of fascination with the german language as well like definitely uh, there would be things like you know the edelweiss and so on uh these kind of uh terminology that would then deliberately be employed to sound exotic
1: yeah like i i notice um like Wal, Walpurgis shows up in yeah uh jrpgs a lot yeah <laughs> <laughs> Well, and you mentioned uh, yeah, the the thing about Final Fantasy is that this happens uh more frequently than not and we're going to be talking about Crisis Core Reunion today and a funny story about the main character Zack Fair in the original Final Fantasy 7 his name is Zacksu. So Zacksu. Yeah, I think uh, more like Zack's. And I think that that was because he was meant to reference the Berserk character Gatsu. So I think the Su is sort of an allusion to that. But whoever got hold of the English translation translation saw Zaksu and they thought, oh, Zach, it must be Zach, just a normal name. And so that's why he's Zach Fair to this day.
0: That's so interesting to hear how these cultural shifts alter the actual names of characters and thus also a
1: little bit of the connotation of what you think of when you hear mm-hmm. these characters' names. Yeah, and you know, it's funny because unlike Greg in Dragon Quest XI, which I think would be jarring, there is something comforting about this character in Crisis Core having a normal kind of name like Zack compared to his counterpart, Cloud, right? <laughs> that's a bit of a more unusual name, more of a fantasy name, I would, I would say. But having a friend, a character named Zack, I think connotates a friend, just a guy that you know, and that's a big part of this game.
0: Well, we're going to talk about Final Fantasy VII Crisis Core Reunion, of course. But before we do that, I want to briefly remind you out there that if you like this show and if you want to help us make it happen, then you can do that by joining Studying Pixels Plus, where you can get all of our episodes entirely ad-free. You'll get a lovely sticker that says, I am Studying Pixels and monthly plus episodes. Should we maybe announce? I think we've got a new one out already. Which one was that? I forgot. January. Yes. How to find a research topic. Exactly. That's what we did. How to find a research topic. So sometimes in these plus episodes, we go into deep dives into video game culture or particular video game series. Other times we go into more academic skills student skills and academic skills that will help you regardless of where you are in your academic career and how to find a research topic is definitely something that you should always be on the lookout for. If you want to support us and are curious about Studying Pixels Plus, then you can go over to studyingpixels.com plus to find out more. And we are back with our review on Crisis Core Final Fantasy VII Reunion, a game that, Dan, you have played and fallen in love with a long time ago, and you've fallen in love with it all over again. I, on the other hand, have not played it, so I'm just curiously listening to your elaborations today.
1: I think this may be as much a pitch to you, Stefan, as it is a review of the game, because, yes, I, I have a long history with this game, full disclosure, Crisis Core, the original for for the PSP, uh, is my favorite game of all time, and it's my favorite game not just because of how it's structured and the story that it tells, but uh, also just because it got me through a really difficult time in my life. And looking back on it, i th- I think it's fair to say that the character Zach uh, shaped who I am today in a in a beautiful kind of way that I think only video games can do. I played this game for hundreds and hundreds of hours on the PSP when I was younger and uh when this remaster was announced uh I think anybody like anybody would be who has a deep connection to something I was excited but trepidatious (laughs) because you never know what's going to happen in a remake or a remaster
0: yeah especially because if you have such fond memories of a game, it's an especially big gamble because if you come back to it, then it might be that it actually turns out to be disappointing and then it kind of casts a shadow over these nostalgic memories that you
1: have. But this wasn't the case here. No, not at all. And I think that that's owed to the fact that this was a really incredibly faithful recreation. I think that, um, now I, I'm i on record many times over saying that Final Fantasy VII Remake is a brilliant game, and it exists on its own in and also in conjunction with the original Final Fantasy VII. I think people who are fans of Crisis Core were a little hesitant about this remake coming out because they were worried that it may do the same thing that Final Fantasy VII Remake did, in that it would change things and make the story different. One of the really important marketing tools that Square Enix used when they announced this was, it is just a remaster it's not a remake. So they were very upfront about that and they lived up to their word. This is a one-to-one recreation, upscaled beautifully with new music, uh, different voice actors, incredible um, graphics and visuals that have been updated to really match the remake uh, sort of visual aesthetic. Um, It is really a, a wonderful way to play this game that was heretofore locked on the PSP for reasons I'll get into in a minute. Exactly. It was a PSP game, Mm
0: -hmm. and it was one of these weird in-between games, right? That was just like Final Fantasy really started at this time, I think, branching out, uh, like exploring different genres, exploring different mechanics, exploring different themes, I suppose. And then instead of just bringing the next Final Fantasy, which would then be Final Fantasy VIII, they did several spin-offs and and sequels of Final Fantasy VII.
1: Yeah. So it was, it was actually, it was 10 years after Final Fantasy VII had come out. They had this- 10 years? Yeah. (laughs) They had this kind of renaissance of Final Fantasy VII games because there was the 10th year anniversary. I, I can remember the PSP version of Crisis Core actually has like a 10 year anniversary graphic before the game starts up. And it was- I think a number of things it was the success of the film advent children that led square enix to realize that final fantasy 7 is kind of a franchise unto itself so they put out crisis core which was the story of zach fair which we get a little glimpse of in the original game and then dirge of cerberus which was the continued story of vincent valentine which has a soft spot in my heart but i'll be honest is not a very good game <laughs>
0: I remember Dirge of Cerberus. I played that actually. I think I got it from like a movie rental Mm. when I was young and it was like a shooting game or something like that.
1: Yeah, it was uh, a, you said they were branching out. They definitely were. (laughs) So yeah, it's funny too because you can look at that point in history, the Crisis Core Dirge of Cerberus uh, as like this fracture point of how they were going to take Final Fantasy moving forward because Crisis Core was an action RPG, which is really what Final Fantasy has evolved into at this stage. And Turge of Cerberus was a weird first person or third person shooter, which they did not move forward with, clearly. But it you mentioned that it was kind of this in-between uh, time for Final Fantasy. And I don't know about you, but in my head, the PSP actually exists as this weird in-between time for a lot of games. It had, you know, it was alongside the PlayStation 2. But it did this interesting thing where it offered a lot of prequels or sidequels, if you want to call them that, like things that happen parallel to their big titles. So Crisis Core was one of them, but you also had Kingdom Hearts Birth by Sleep, which was a prequel to the series. You had uh, Daxter, which was the side story of the sidekick in Jack and Daxter at the beginning of Jack 2. You had things like uh, even Metal Gear Peace Walker was kind of in this vein of a side game that had a little more uh, weight to it than previous portable games. And then something that we've mentioned previously on a Plus episode, uh, God of War Chains of Olympus, which was another prequel that was released for the PSP. So the PSP kind of housed these really meaty prequel stories that existed on their own and that have been kind of locked away on the PSP for a very long time. And Crisis Core is one of them.
0: I think the PSP just lends itself to that mm. because it's a handheld and you can't realize, or at the time at least, you were not would not be able to realize a fully fleshed out sequel. You would probably not see a Final Fantasy VIII release directly on the PSP. Right. Instead, you are... Uh, like encouraged to, to tell a smaller story or to experiment a little bit around with the mechanics or the scope of the game make everything a little bit smaller and compact and focus it on specific elements. and I think that's just like uh, technologically as well as aesthetically a perfect setup for such a yeah I, I love the term side quote yeah that adds to the story in some some form
1: yeah, it's really that's it is it's not it's not a full entry necessarily. it's kind of like a um you know, it's almost like an appendix or something where, uh, if you're playing through a game and you have a codex or a journal that goes over like certain things in the, in the past or the history of the world of the game, a lot of these PSP titles were kind of like, well, what if that was its own game for like eight or 10 hours? And that's exactly what Crisis Core is. Crisis Core is the story of Zach Fair, who, Um, I don't want to, I really don't want to get too spoilery for Final Fantasy VII or Crisis Core because I implore you to play them, but it follows the story of Zack, who's a character in Final Fantasy VII, who was a soldier operative, soldier being the um, military group for the Shinra Corporation. Uh, And he learns about himself, how Shinra is not a very good company. (laughs) He learns about uh, these different characters around him who really make him the person that he is. By the time Cloud meets him, and therefore makes Cloud the person that he is, and so it's a very tight, compact story. That it it certainly gives some of the the prequel isms that a lot of prequels give. Like there's the backstory for the Buster Sword. There's the backstory for Professor Hojo. You know, there's the backstory for Sephiroth. But it also is such a unique and compact story that explores its own themes and its own interests that it doesn't solely exist as a prequel. It's really its own story, and it's the story of Zack Fair. I was about to ask
0: mm. how standalone is the story because I know that we've got people listening that might have played Final Fantasy VII and possibly the remaster or the, sorry the remake. Mm. Um, and then there are people who might not have who think mm, can I can I play this? Can I legitimately enjoy this and understand and follow it, even without having
1: played Final Fantasy seven slash remake? Certainly, yes. I think the the one of the br- brilliant things about this game is that you can jump into it and understand exactly what's happening to the point where uh, it'll enrich your understanding of Final Fantasy Seven if you then go on to play that game. But if you don't want to start there and you want to start with a more modern kind of game that came out 10 years after its, its original title, uh, you don't need to know anything about Final Fantasy VII to enjoy Crisis Core and these characters. It is incredibly self-contained and I think has the enviable position as a prequel that makes you want to explore the other entries into the series.
0: If you had to recommend an order in which to play them, would you say first the rem- uh, Final Fantasy VII Remar- a Remake? Sorry, I always I mess up these the names. title. The remake! <laughs> it's the remake, not a remaster. First the remake and then the Crisis Core remaster, or the other way around? What would you
1: recommend more? I would say with the current games that are out, because I'm going to put my my pedantic hat on. My pedantic, pedantic Dan would say, play all of the Final Fantasy VII games in the order that they came out, starting with the original. <laughs> but if you're starting with the new things, I think play remake, the Final Fantasy VII remake, where you do get introduced to Zack as a character um, at the end of that game. And then play Crisis Core Reunion. Because I think what they're doing is They're clearly telling a story where Zack is going to be pivotal. And I imagine this character and the events of Crisis Core are going to play a huge role in Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, which is the next installment of the Remake series. So I would say Remake, Reunion, and then we'll see where it goes with Rebirth. Yeah, I totally could imagine that as well. There
0: is often a reason for why game developers put out a remaster at a certain point in time Uh, for example we've seen just before the last of us part two came out Mm. we've seen the remaster of the last of us part one and i could imagine that they're basically bringing out the crisis core remaster now to refresh people's memories or to allow them to explore this story because it might then have some kind of significance in Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, not necessarily to the degree that you wouldn't understand it, because I don't think they're going to go that far, but definitely to the degree
1: that they'd add something substantial to it. I think so. I think that's exactly right. Because they're definitely, for those of us who've played Remake, they're definitely taking taking the story in a different direction. And it seems to me that they're really heavily relying on characters and plot points from not only Crisis Core, but for those of us who've played the Eufy DLC from Dirge of Cerberus as well. So everything's kind of coming together. And I think that Square Enix is making the deliberate decision to, as you say, bring these ideas back into people's minds so that it's all kind of freshly put together when the game continues. They've got big aspirations there. They do. And, you know, I think, I mean, I'm with them 100%. And I think the reason is because these... Final Fantasy 7 games, they're they're really different from the rest of the Final Fantasy series. And we could do an entire episode stuff on about why that is. I I tend to think it's because the characters are the most relatable in any Final Fantasy game once you sort of engage with their trauma and their history. But I also think it's the world itself. There's something about Midgar and the planet, and these different places that you go to, Junon, and all of these different places that make this sort of fantasy world mixed with technological bio-horror, it all comes together in this package where, despite all of the craziness and the horror of the world, you almost want to live there. And I think that that's more true of this world than other Final Fantasy worlds. And so it yearns for further fleshing out and seeing how things came to be and where things are going and why things are the way that they are. And that's why Crisis Core, to me, one of the reasons it's so compelling is because it offers a lot of that background and a lot of that fleshing out of places like Midgar or the Shinra Corporation headquarters or uh, a new place called Banora, which ties into the idea of the Life Stream a whole lot. There's just so much in this dense ten-hour package that you can really enjoy. A ten-hour package—that's actually quite compact, I must say. I think that's—I think that's fair. I think it's yeah, roughly, maybe ten, ten to twelve hours if you just play through the main story. There's ten chapters, and it was a PSP game, so there wasn't a whole lot on offer with uh, cutscenes and things like that. But it is a—it's a breeze to get through, but it offers a whole lot and that's kind of where I want to get into what Crisis Core Reunion is and why it's such a a good remaster so as we mentioned PSP game pretty short but it had a lot on offer in terms of gameplay, music, visuals. Square Enix is known for their visuals and Crisis Core is no exception to that. Crisis Core Reunion Comes in and says, all right, we're going to take all of that from the PSP and we're going to, from the ground up, remaster it and put it out on modern consoles. And I think that that is the way to do it nowadays. There is a whole era where remasters just meant we're upscaling this to HD and it looks weird and it doesn't belong on this next generation console the biggest example is the Silent Hill HD collection where they just sort of took the base game and upscaled everything and it looked terrible <laughs> on on the current consoles.
0: It's often not that simple, even though mm. it sounds easy to say, yeah, just remaster it. But a remaster is more than just a port. A port would mean just bringing the game over. Yeah. A remaster actually requires some work and some engagement with what the game is and what makes it work in order to properly...
1: Uh, produce the remaster. Yes, and Reunion has a couple of things going for it. Namely, Final Fantasy VII Remake is already out. So they have the template for what the game should look like. And they also have... I'm not as technically literate with games, but a lot of the modeling, a lot of the environments, a lot of the um, combat systems are really just from Remake. And they're put into reunion so well because final fantasy 7 remake took a lot of its combat systems from the original crisis core <laughs> so it's sort of this ouroboros of just improving on itself over and over again and it feels so earned and dynamic and while there's no new story content like there is in final fantasy 7 remake there is some new content in the sense of the visuals are all completely overhauled and upgraded. Um, the music is redone and the voice acting is also re-recorded. And I think the main reason for that is because these characters are going to be in future installments of the remake series. And so they're allowing those voice actors to kind of retroactively have this history so that they can draw on that.
0: Yeah, to kind of establish themselves as the voice of that character so they can carry over into the
1: mainline games. Yes. And I think that there is some there is some controversy there, I think, because uh, the the voice actor for Zack in the original, he kind of comes from that... I don't know if this will resonate with you, Stefan, but in the early aughts, there was a style of voice acting that we don't see anymore, which is just people talking like people do. I feel like now voice acting is very produced it's very coached and directed i'm thinking of like to, to go back to silent hill uh what's his name uh see he as james in silent hill 2 you don't get those kind of performances anymore <laughs> this kind of guy off the street just sounding like a guy
0: yeah it's like, uh, can you come here into this uh, booth and just stand in front of the microphone uh sure and then just say um i wonder what's in that corridor i should check it out I wonder what's in that corridor. I should check it out. Perfect. Yes. One cut. (laughs) We
1: got it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's true. It's, there's something about, um, there's something about just that era of voice acting. And, uh, I was, I was a little bummed that those, those voice actors weren't coming back, but they do a fantastic job and they do something interesting, which I think normally would bother me, but because of the circumstances, it doesn't, uh, all the voice actors, they clearly, both English and Japanese, they just studied the way that the lines were said <laughs> in the original and they they mimicked that. So cadence, uh, voice ticks, like all these little things that were just natural from the original game are recreated in reunion by the new voice actors very faithfully, which I think usually I would say, oh, don't do an impression of somebody. But for some reason, and maybe you can shine some light on why I feel this way, it works <laughs> in, in Reunion. I mean, the reason why it works
0: is probably nostalgia. That's probably because it. I could yeah. imagine. <laughs> yeah. Because I could imagine, I, I don't know, I, I'll be curious what kind of effect it would have on me. Mm. Because I I don't have that nostalgic remembrance of the original voice acting. And to me, it might just be like, It kind of sounds stifled or something along Mm. those lines. I haven't heard the actual. although I think I've seen a review video where I heard a bit of the voice acting. And I do remember that they were complaining a bit about it, that the voice acting sounds a little bit too stiff. And maybe that is exactly because they are, for some reason, very committed to mimic
1: the original voice actors rather than producing their own professional voice track. It's very clearly a decision. Because it's not just one character. It's everybody. Everybody is... Clearly there is some directive to say, all right, just watch this and recreate it. And I think, in fairness, yeah, that could maybe come off as a little stifled, as you say. Uh, But I'll also say that the Crisis Core voice acting is so naturalistic that even with the kind of, you know, canned nature of people trying to imitate, it still comes off as charming. So I I really enjoyed it and that was a really big point of hesitation for me. But I'm uh I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit here just because I'm excited to talk about Crisis Core, but I do need to say <laughs> before we move on to the upgrades and the the visuals and the combat system, I need to tell this story because this is something that is so strange and so wonderfully Japanese that uh, I'm actually surprised we have Crisis Core Reunion. And that is the story... Stefan, do you know the pop star, Gact? Gacked? Gacked? Gacked. I, I have no idea, should I? <laughs> I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> so he's a J-pop star. And in Crisis Core, there's Zach Fair, the character. Sephiroth is in it, of course. But there is a more there's an antagonist that's meant more for the Crisis Core story, and his name is Genesis. Genesis was voiced by Gakt in Japanese, and his face is modeled after Gakt's face. So for a long time, Crisis Core Reunion was locked on the PSP, not because Square Enix didn't want to port it, but because Gakt was very protective of his image. And so... There was this whole debacle about if we would ever see a port of Crisis Core or if Genesis, the character, would even show up again in the Final Fantasy VII universe because Gact, the J-pop star, was very protective of where his image would show up. So in a way, I'm very happy we have Reunion because it seems like Gact kind of lightened up a little bit. (laughs) He like reluctantly agreed. He's like, "Now, nah, right then. Well, he either reluctantly agreed or Square Enix cut him a big fat check because yeah. Genesis is clearly going to be showing up in further games. And I think my brother Matt and I have this joke that before Reunion came out, we were thinking, how are they going to get Genesis if if he's so important to the story and Gact won't release his face? How are they going to get him? And we just thought for the longest time there would be a scene in the next Final Fantasy 7 remake installment where off screen you hear someone say, it is I, Genesis. Oh no, what's this? An explosive barrel and then a huge explosion. Then <laughs> he would come out and say, that explosion has completely changed my face and voice. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's like he just has like bandages all around yeah. him. And <laughs> yeah. then he's just like, oh, I that was so- a
1: hard hit. Yep. I suppose this is how I look now. so there's the story of gact and thank you gact i imagine you you got some sort of uh, pass to put this game out again so thank you very much it's well appreciated yeah maybe we shouldn't be too unfavorable
0: when speaking about this person because maybe it wasn't even it wasn't even up to him maybe it was like yeah cool you
1: can just do it you know yeah i think there was a lot of contractual stuff going on but i just love that story of The (laughs) J-pop star who held up Final Fantasy VII for a little while. Shall we take a break Yeah, Let's do it.
2: I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. and Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com/slash host
0: and we are back talking about Crisis Core Final Fantasy VI Reunion, a PSP remaster that adds a substantial fragment of story. To the character of Zack from the final fantasy 7 series and we were just about to get into the technical side of things after we had explored the general concept and the voice acting
1: yes so one of the really beautiful things about this remaster is its visuals and i did mention that one of the interesting things about the world of crisis core is the world itself with you it takes place roughly five years prior to the events of Final Fantasy VII. So you see Midgar in mid-construction. Things are still being built. The Shinra Corporation is there and people love Shinra. People are not uh, taken aback by them quite so yet. And so you get to interact with Shinra soldiers and you get to interact with people who work there and the citizens of Midgar. And Ostensibly, Zack's role as a soldier operative is to protect Shinra and the citizens of Midgar. So this takes him around the world to different locales to uh, quell uprisings, fight off monsters, and you really do get to see a cool, fleshed-out world of Final Fantasy VII through the missions that Zack is sent on.
0: But the missions themselves, I would imagine, are more on a linear track.
1: Yes, they are... It is very story heavy. So, you know, one mission is really, it's per chapter. So per chapter, there will be a goal and there's 10 chapters and each of these chapters takes you to a new place. So sometimes you're going to stay in Midgar. Other times you're going to go to the rural village of Benora. Sometimes you're going to go to the uh, mechanized city of Junon where the big cannon that protects uh, Shinra is housed. There's all kinds of different places that you go, and each of these environments is beautifully rendered, in a way that makes it makes me really excited for uh, follow-ups to the remake series, because we've gotten we really only saw Midgar in uh, in remake, and now we've gotten kind of what the different places in the world like. The beach town of Costa del Sol like what these different places are really going to look like as we go into them in future installments so it's it's kind of like this tantalizing uh piece of art that you get to see and and let your kind of mind wander to think oh what are we going to get in these future installments if this is what it looks like i'm really excited
0: a little bit like a concept art that just throws mm. something on the wall like this is what it could be or this is how it might look in an updated version
1: Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. It is. It's kind of like a proof of concept for what we're gonna get. In addition to being its own contained story, one of the things that I found interesting, and I I don't know if this is uh, laziness or if it's just confidence, (laughs) because the the game itself as it's running, where you're just playing as Zach and you're going through sort of normal in-game cutscenes. These all look very much like Final Fantasy VII Remake. They look maybe, maybe not as technically incredible as that, but it's still on the same level. Something that's interesting, though, is that the PSP had its in-game graphics and then it had the fully rendered cutscenes where maybe there would be a battle between two characters or there was a really beautiful image of a, of a vista or something like that. And something that struck me as weird playing it was I noticed that those cutscenes didn't appear to be changed at all. So they were the, back in the day, in the aughts, you, you knew you were in a special Square Enix cutscene because it was like a movie was playing, and it looked much different and much more polished than the rest of the game. Those scenes are still in the game, but have not been changed at all. And they still look great but it is a little interesting to say oh that was made in 2007 and it hasn't changed since so the rest of the game is upscaled but these the, the most technically impressive scenes from the original have not been changed at all
0: it's a weird decision to make i mean right? either i mean maybe it would have was just uh, would have just required a lot more effort to recreate them fully because i assume that these are impressive sequences that are beautifully rendered that are very conceptualized, very choreographed, and that it would be very difficult to get them on the same level that you would expect of the cutscenes in Final Fantasy
1: VI remake. I think that's right. And thinking about it really, I only noticed it sort of after a few of them. Because there's a I would say the the one that Crisis Core is known for is a fight between three of the characters, Genesis, who I mentioned, Sephiroth, and then Angeal. Who's another character in the game? That I think is the most famous cutscene from that game. It, it was used to promote it, it was used in, in a lot of reviews back in the day. It still looks amazing. So I do think it would probably be almost a, a waste to go in and redo it because I don't know how much different it would look necessarily. Yeah, then you put on all the effort and then you maybe
0: get a tiny effect of it being mm-hmm. a little bit more impressive. Or you have to go all out and then you have to put the proper work in. But for that purpose, I assume the dev team would have required a lot more resources and then it would not have had the status of being a remaster anymore. But then it would have almost been a remake.
1: I think that's right. So a little odd, but again, take it from the perspective of somebody who's played the game for probably a thousand hours and knows every minute of it inside and out. So I I recognize that I'm coming from a particular stance here. But generally speaking, the game looks incredible. And that's not all that got an overhaul, the visuals and in the, in the uh, sort of day-to-day gameplay kind of stuff. The music also got a nice reorchestration. So one of the things that I'm, I'm always curious about how remasters will do music, because sometimes they don't do anything. And they just have the same tracks as the PS2 version or the PlayStation version. And they chalk it up to nostalgia and say, well, this, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right. But then you have games. And I noticed that Square Enix does this pretty frequently with their remasters. They will reorchestrate the songs and they'll put in a lot of effort to kind of, for lack of a better term, upscale the audio. In the game as well. I know that the Kingdom Hearts remasters did this, Final Fantasy X did this, and usually it meets some controversy because there are fans of the original music. I am always of the opinion that that music is always going to exist. That will always be there. This is a new take for a remaster. Let's see how it how it goes. And I will say that they did a really nice job. It's definitely a case where you can tell that it's different and that somebody else is taking over. They're taking the music of Takeharu Ishimoto, the composer from the original, and they're doing their own take on it. There's little things that you can notice. Maybe um, certain songs have more pronounced percussion and other songs have more pronounced acoustic guitar, whereas in the old game it may have been reversed. So interesting decisions there, but I think fits the aesthetic of the remaster really nicely. And the last thing I'll say is that Crisis Core is a lot about leitmotifs. There is a song called The Price of Freedom, and that may ring a bell because Zach, and for those of us who played Final Fantasy VII Remake, he's known for saying at the end of his story The Price of Freedom sure is steep. And that song and that leitmotif are not changed, which I find to be a very beautiful decision where that was not reorchestrated and that really was the If It Ain't Broke, Don't Fix It. So when The Price of Freedom comes on at a very pivotal moment in the game, it is exactly as it was on the PSP in a really gorgeous rendition.
0: I find it so impressive the detailed engagement that Square Enix has with the orchestration of their games. Because Mm. I know that in Final Fantasy VII Remake, they also went ahead and they basically realized as a composition what I might have heard in my head while playing the game. So it's not so much about what was actually on tape, basically, but more like what the experience of listening to the music. And it sounds like they might have taken a similar approach here of actually going in and saying we're gonna change the music up a little bit. We're gonna stick to the key concepts, but we're gonna like shift it in ways so that it sounds more closely to what our players might have experienced while
1: listening to it. They're, they got a very keen ear for that. I agree yeah. with you, hundred percent. Very rare. Yeah. Yes, and I think that it it did a really good job. And there's also um, the uh, the song "Why" by the artist Ayaka, which again is not touched that's a vocal song at the end of the game. And so, yeah, it's, it's this really great mix of this is what it sounded like to you when you first played it. And also we're going to stay true to what it actually is meant to sound like. It's a very interesting formula they have. But I will say, I already mentioned the, uh, the voice acting and there's a couple of things that I just wanted to touch on. Namely, there is a kind of, uh, charisma that these voice actors have or they had in the original for the PSP, that I do think is nicely translated to the new voice actors. And I do wonder how much of that is the kind of beat-for-beat retelling of the lines that I mentioned already. But I just want to say there's two lines. I'm going to take one from English and one from Japanese. So the English line that always cracked me up as a kid and I think stays... very accurate to what it was in the PSP version. Zach being this eminently kind, funny guy at one point confronts his friend, Angeal. And he says, Angeal, what is it that you want? And Angeal sarcastically says world domination. And Zach's response is that's not even funny, man. And that read in a final fantasy game (laughs) is so funny to me (laughs) that it's just like, a guy, you know, down the street saying, I want to dominate the world and him going, come on. All right, get off your high horse. <laughs> you know, <laughs> It has something so organic to it. Yeah. There's that. And then the, uh, the Japanese voice acting is very, uh, is very incredible. I mean, as Japanese voice acting of, often is, but Zach's kind of de facto catchphrase, I guess is, yeah. Like, oh really? If, that's that's yeah. like what you
0: would say as a store owner to welcome a guest, for example.
1: Yeah, and it gets it gets translated as "come and get it," right? Which is, I think, fine. But he says it at the start of a couple of battles, and the way that the voice actor uh, denotes it is this kind of playful, sarcastic. You know, we're all here to have a good time. Come and get it, kind of attitude. So. <clears throat> As as interesting a choice as it is to have a beat-for-beat beat recreation with these new voice actors, I think it works. And they retain a lot of the heart and genuine uh, characterization that the original voice actors have. Just
0: as a brief tangent here, mm. the word say um, mase mm. basically welcoming a, a guest in a store or something like that, is deeply ingrained in my brain because of Fire Emblem Three Houses. Oh, sure. If you go to a a particular store there, there's a store owner. And when you open up his store menu, he always like, (laughs) It happens every single time. And he does it with such furor, you know, that you think like, wow, it's like imposing. I'm going to buy everything.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Here's a fun tip for uh, anybody looking for a really good Japanese restaurant. You know it's a good restaurant if you hear, When you walk in you know it's a good one <laughs> well moving on from the the music and the voice acting which have my stamp of approval we got to talk about the gameplay how does yes. the game actually work <laughs> i've actually got a question because i've heard yeah. something about crisis
0: core that worries me mm. i've seen like a, a screenshots of it and there was always a kind of slot machine rolling on the screen and i was like yeah. why is
1: there are they doing gambling now <laughs> No, so I this is something that is it's a really interesting mechanic. So let's talk about it. That's called the uh the DMW. The um it's a memory wheel that as you meet characters in the game, Zach's memory wheel adds these characters to them. And I'm gonna put a pin in that because to understand how that comes into the gameplay, you just have to understand that the game is an action RPG. It's very much like Final Fantasy VII Remake where you control Zack in the arena. You're able to move around. It's not turn-based like old Final Fantasy games. And you can customize Zack with different materia and magic and boost his stats. It's a really complex system that is made very simple. And it's a lot of fun to kind of mix and match. It's also the kind of game that really rewards you experimenting early on because not only can you customize Zach to make him stronger, but you can meld different materia and magic to make new commands. So you can really min-max Zach before you even go into the second chapter. (laughs) It's a lot of fun. And the way that that's balanced, that kind of power, is with the DMW. And what that is, is that slot machine that you mentioned, Stefan, which is these the characters that you meet throughout the story, like Aerith, Sephiroth, Sung from the Turks, um, Cisne from the Turks, uh, Angeal Genesis. Everybody that shows up who has a meaningful impact on who Zack is shows up in this wheel. And as you're playing and you're fighting, it's constantly spinning. And when it lands on three of the same person, that's your limit break. So the limit from Final Fantasy VII, that special attack depending on who it lands on will be a different attack for Zack to use. And it's like he's calling on his relationship with that character to use a different kind of attack. So if it lands on 3 Sephiroths for example, Zack uses a, an ability called Octa slash, which is just a bunch of slashing with a, as if it was Sephiroth doing it. So it's a really cool way of um, kind of limiting your progress to be super powerful until you meet different people in the story and that's Ah, how it gets how the
0: how basically a way to combine the narrative direction of uh, meeting more people and embracing friendships that at the same time then amplify your power in combat but is this wheel, it's automatically spinning and automatically stopping. So you don't have to do anything. It's basically just like, almost like in, you know, I remember in in Dragon Quest XI, you can get pepped Mm. up like after a certain amount of turns or taking a certain amount of damage, you get pepped up, then you can release a superpower. That's similarly how it works.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, you don't have to do anything. What happens is it's powered by um, SP, which is your experience. It's called soldier points. It's the uh, amount of, points that you have that will determine when you level up, how often the wheel will spin, the luck that you get on it, but there's also items that you can equip that will change the luck of the wheel. So if you really want to get Sephiroth to show up, there's a materia you can use so that Sephiroth shows up more often. And the way that it's also, first it's the limits, then it's also how you summon the big summon monsters, and it's also uh, battle perks. So if you get like three sevens, you're invulnerable for a little period of time in the fight. Or maybe if you get three of the same number, maybe like three twos, you'll get infinite MP so that you can cast magic uh, without losing anything for a period of like 30 seconds. So it's a way to randomize uh, randomize the fight, but makes you think about what you should capitalize on when you get those different perks.
0: Yes, it's really something that keeps
1: you on your toes that is something that, oh,
0: now I've got this, then I better make use of it. And now I've got infinite MPs, I better unleash some abilities or spells or something like that. Exactly.
1: Yeah. So it's it's a way to keep you on your toes, exactly as you say. And it's also, uh, interestingly, it's also the way that you level up. So leveling up is kind of random in Crisis Core. And the way that it works is the more soldier points you have, the more likely you are to get a combination that will level you up. So technically speaking, it still depends on how much experience you have. But if you want, if you want to play through all of the side missions and, you know, go through just the same mission farming these soldier points over and over again, technically you could get to level 99 before you leave the Shinra building. Nah, I'm not going to do that. That will take too long. It will take too long, (laughs) yes. But I can say... From insane experience, you can do that if you want to. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Talking about something that you can do if you want to, the yeah. PSP had some technical limitations, of course, not regarding the aesthetics, but also regarding the gameplay interaction. I, mm. I think, wasn't the PSP the one that had only one stick?
1: Yeah, yeah. No camera uh, stick, uh, I think. How,
0: yeah, one one camera stick. How do they handle... No, wait, one stick to walk around. Yeah, no I camera think. stick. No yeah. camera stick. And how do they handle that now? It, basically just
1: liberating the camera? Yeah, Yep liberating the camera. Uh, it, I mean, it feels like you're playing Final Fantasy VII Remake. It, it operates the same way. So there's also some real nice, speaking of which, quality of life improvements to the game. So one of the things that I noticed, the game is very quick. It's very fast-paced. So the story moves along really quickly. And it's so well-written that you are enticed to move on and find out what's happening. There's really not a point where it drags. And so the problem that you may have had on the PSP is that you want to move forward so much, you miss out on a lot in the the areas that you're exploring. So maybe there's some fun side missions or some fun character beats or some materia that you want to pick up, some special items. The game reunion will actually stop you and say, hey, are you sure you want to move on? There's some things you may be missing. And I know that you and I are a big fan of that kind of... Uh, that kind of notice saying, hey, there's still things to do here. You might want to stick around.
0: I 100% agree. Tell me about it when I'm in the area, when I'm in the Mm. level. Uh, If I don't want to collect it, give me the option to move on. But definitely notify me that there's something important rather than saying, at the very end of the game, by the way, you've collected three out of five in this whole level. And then it's like, you (laughs) got to go through it all over
1: again. (laughs) Exactly. So lots lots of nice quality of life there. Uh, the customization making Zach stronger is a lot more intuitive and it was pretty intuitive to begin with in the PSP version, but it, it offers a lot of, um, optional tutorials and advice and tips. And there's even a system where you can say, I'm not sure how I should move forward. And it'll say, well, have you tried mixing these things to make this? And it'll give you kind of pointers to make yourself stronger. It's really it's really nice and it's not in your face. Um, and I think that it, it really encourages the player to do what the original game did, which was play through it many times because the new game plus system is so robust and so rewarding. You keep so much of what you've gathered, your levels, your progress, your items, your material, your equipment, everything. So it really does lend itself to this great story of Zack becoming a stronger soldier operative where you can go back and play the game again and really feel as if you're this super soldier <laughs> running through these missions and taking on these incredible monsters going for it further in the the side mission space and going to these great depths of the planet and fighting these incredible monsters that you maybe didn't see in the first playthrough it really does encourage you to play through it again and again and again. And even though I had done that as a kid for probably a thousand hours, I spent a hundred hours in reunion, just playing through it again and again. And it's a lot it was, of time. It was, and it didn't feel that way. It, mm. it's one of those things that because it's such a fast paced game, there's never a point. I, I, I don't know that I know another game like this stuff on where, I've played games repeatedly many times, as you know. There's always a point in a video game that you get to and you say, ah, this point, I don't want to do this, right? Or I just have to get through this, this slog part of the game. Crisis Core doesn't have that to me. It moves so quickly and is so dynamic that you never get to a point where you go, oh, shoot, I have to do this part. (laughs) It's, It's a... Quite a feat to me. And so for me, it was really easy to lose myself in multiple playthroughs. I think ultimately I played it, played through it five times. And it was re- as rewarding as each time before it. Ah, uh, your endorsements are always so impressive that I think,
0: oh God, now I have to play this. Okay, okay, I'll put <laughs> it on my list already.
1: Well, if I haven't sold you on the gameplay, the visuals, the music, all of this stuff, I'm not going to get into spoilers for the story. I've been very deliberate in not talking about really what happens in Crisis Core. And it's because it's a very important game to me, but I also think it is such a, let me put it to you this way. Crisis Core is a tragedy. It needs to be because of the way Final Fantasy VII is set up. And yet like the Titanic, the movie, the Titanic, you forget what's going to happen at the end of the game. And so while I could talk about it, I don't want to take anything away from anybody playing it. So instead, what I want to talk about to round out our discussion is what Zach Fair means to me. I think that growing up in America, especially, heroism, even nowadays, maybe more so now with all the Marvel stuff, heroes, it's a word that's thrown around a lot and I think doesn't have a lot of tangible meaning to people growing up. And I can only speak from my experience, but as a, a boy growing up, there's a lot of directions in which you are pulled in America. And I, I know in Germany too, Stefan, where you are meant to fit certain roles or be a certain way, be really tough. The idea of heroism often comes across as just being strong and being kind of unflappable. Zach Fair presents the idea of a hero in a way that I had not seen before playing crisis core. And that means a great deal to me. And it's a very JRPG kind of idea, but I think it's the pinnacle of it is this character, Zach. He's a character who from the start of the game, somebody asks him, what is your dream? And he says, Oh, I want to be a hero. And the character who says that to him says, Oh good. Unattainable dreams are the best kind. And Zach kind of doesn't understand it, right? And throughout the whole game, that's just what he wants to do. He wants to help people. He wants to be strong. He wants to protect people. But he is eminently kind. He is unflappably honest. He is always looking to save people from themselves and from harm. At no point in the game does he want to destroy anything or put an end to anybody he is always met with challenge from an optimistic standpoint. And when something goes wrong, he shows his emotion. I've said on this podcast before, I think a true pivotal moment in my growing up is a moment where Zach experiences the death of a loved one. And there is a scene where he cries and he grieves about it. And to me, this is a story about a man who is comfortable in himself who understands what he wants and how he can help other people and always sees the good in people before the bad and i think in a game where you genuinely see sephiroth go sephiroth the villain the ultimate jrpg villain go from a sympathetic character to the madman that we know him as to see zach throughout the entire game trying to help that character is very meaningful in a way that I had not seen done in the same way prior to playing crisis core. So if you're looking for a true hero to look up to, I think that that's what Zach fair provides in crisis core. And I can't wait to see where they take him in the subsequent stories that they're clearly setting up for. that's so
0: beautiful. I love this. Uh, this notion of heroism as not connecting it necessarily to being the strongest, the toughest, um, not necessarily... I mean, we have different kinds of heroes. We've got Cloud Strife in Final Fantasy VII, who is also kind of a hero, also kind of an anti-hero probably. Mm. But I find it really cool to have this kind of just truly virtuous hero who is a hero because of the way in which he deals with the... The problems that he's confronted with and the the, the loss that he's confronted with uh, rather than just being like all around
1: amazing already. And I think that that's really the difference because there's other characters like him, Stefan, that are like all around amazing. And like, I think of, um, you know, certain JRPG heroes that they just, uh, they just keep pushing forward. I think the difference for me is that Zach will have these moments where he's confronted with his his ideology and his world, and he really has to contend with it. And even after the deep contention with things that would shatter anybody's kind of resolve, he comes out on the other side saying, no, even though this idea has been kind of tarnished, I'm taking what was important from it to me and moving forward with it to the point where the whole point of the game to me is that you are the one who creates your own system of morality. And if you don't shy away from it, nothing can take that heroism away from you. Well, on that note, play Crisis Core. (laughs) (laughs) Wow.
0: After that endorsement, I hardly have another choice than doing it. I, I put it on my list already. And I do think I will, I'm not sure when, but I'm, I think I might play it before I engage with whatever comes next. Maybe Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, probably. Because I I see how this would complement the story well. And my, maybe even bring me a little bit back into it. Although, honestly, to be very honest with you, I still have to play the Yuffie DLC of of Final mm-hmm. Fantasy VII Remake. I still haven't done that. I didn't get back into that game after
1: I finished it. I'll tell you what, though, Stefan. Um... If you haven't played the Eufy DLC, then I would say this. the I think the perfect way to engage with Crisis Core would be before Rebirth comes out, whenever we get that announcement date, play the Eufy DLC, then play Crisis Core Reunion, and you will be all set for Rebirth. Ah, I'm actually looking forward to that. I
0: don't know I haven't uh, shared much of my impressions of Final Fantasy VII Remake on the show, I think. But not uh, on this one, no. <laughs> not, not on this one. On a different show, yes, but not on this yeah. one. And I really love, I really love the game, and I'm really looking forward to where they go with Rebirth. So thank you very much for your review impressions, Dan, um, and thank you very much out there for listening. As always, you can submit your thoughts and questions on studyingpixels.com/contact. And if you want to support the show, if you want to help us make it happen, then you can go to studyingpixels.com plus. Remember, share the show on your favorite social media platform if you so desire. And we will see each other again next week. Bye bye.